0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with the sermon this afternoon, I'd invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll read the verses 17 through 34. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home. So that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further directions. And now I'd invite you to open your book of praise and turn to Lord's Day 30. Who are to come to the table of the Lord? Those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins. And yet trust that these are forgiven them and that the remaining weakness is covered By the suffering and death of Christ. And who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their lives. But hypocrites and those who do not repent eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Are those also to be admitted to the Lord's Supper who by their confession in life show that they are unbelieving and ungodly? No. For then the covenant of God would be profaned and his wrath kindled against the whole congregation. Therefore, according to the command of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such persons by the keys of the kingdom of heaven until they amend their lives. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who belongs at the Lord's table? Who belongs there? What sort of people ought to partake of the Lord's Supper? This is a perennial question in the church, in many churches, a question that's given a lot of different answers and has several different vantage points. People discuss different ways of of guarding the table or whether it's the elder's uh, job to guard the table at all. And people discuss whether age or other considerations would allow or disallow members of the church, to come to the table of the Lord. For example, a big question that is being discussed now and has been discussed for quite some time is the issue of age. If children belong in God's covenant, I preached about that a few weeks ago. We just had the sacrament of holy baptism of initiation into the church and covenant of God. If children belong in God's covenant and are fully part of Christ's church, then why don't we allow them at the Lord's Supper table? Some have even taken this to the extreme and said, if we exclude people from coming to the Lord's table for reasons of sin and church discipline, then why are we exercising church discipline against our children? Are they worthy of being cut off from the Lord's table? That's how the question is put. And so, as you will no doubt notice, this is a serious charge. This is an important issue. And like I said, this question is being discussed by many now, and it has been before. It was a big issue in the early 80s as well. It was also an issue during the Reformation. It was not as though the idea of pedo communion as it's called, when you have children at the Lord's table, had never occurred to them. Rather, it was understood by the Reformers, and almost all of them rejected it for several significant reasons. So that's an example of how people are answering or posing the question of who belongs at the Lord's table. That's the question that we'll deal with this afternoon. We'll deal with this in part about the question about children, or age, or maturity, but we'll move on from there to consider the spiritual condition of those who will partake of the Lord's Supper, and of those who should not partake of the Lord's Supper. And in doing this, the idea is not just to knock down arguments, or to engage in polemics, but rather to come to a deeper understanding of both God's covenant and of the supper of God's covenant the Lord's supper for the sake of of our lives for the sake of our participation in Christ and for the sake of the growth of our faith and walk with the Lord so that's our theme this afternoon the Lord's table who belongs who belongs at the Lord's table we'll consider first those who profess Christ second those who repent daily and third not those who will eat and drink judgment on themselves so who belongs first of all those who profess Christ in considering the lord's table what's right what's wrong who should come we can begin simply by what we do in our church in In our church, we baptize infants into the church and we accept them and we accept at the table all baptized members who, generally, following catechetical instruction, have publicly professed their faith in Christ and then are admitted to the table. That's what we do. And so is that a proper distinction? Is that, on the other hand, improper discrimination? Should children, younger children, infants even, be allowed at the table? We'll come in a moment to 1 Corinthians 11 and to what the Apostle Paul says about that. But first, we need to just consider for a moment the difference between baptism and Lord's Supper. It's important. In the first place, although they're both signs and seals that God has given us in the New Covenant, We need to realize that they don't function in the same way. And, of course, we wouldn't expect them to. If Lord's Supper was the same as baptism, then why have two signs and not just one? They are different. Second, by their very nature, it's clear that baptism must precede Lord's Supper. Baptism is a sign of initiation into God's covenant. In the sacrament of baptism, God expresses to believers and their children that that child belongs. God extends His covenant promises through the generations. God shows from where those promises come. They're not earned or secured by our own actions, by what we do, by our abilities. God promises His grace and love in Jesus Christ before we even know what's going on. So that's baptism. It's a sign of initiation. It comes at the beginning. The Lord's Supper, however, is different. Just as baptism expresses the singular origin of the covenant, is, God who makes His covenant with us, Lord's Supper expresses the, you could call it, the duality, the, the two parts of the covenant. Whenever God made a covenant with His people, He made it on His own initiative. It was God's covenant with His people. But yet, that covenant required a response on the part of those with whom God made the covenant. It required a response of obedience. It required growing up into maturity in the covenant and embracing those promises for oneself. The nature of Lord's Supper, with its active participation of eating the bread and the wine, and and also the consequences for disobedience It expresses that response of faith in the covenant. That then also leads to the third difference between baptism and Lord's Supper, and that they they represent different ways of participating in the covenant. The Heidelberg Catechism expresses this in the different language that it uses with respect to baptism and Lord's Supper. In question 69... It asks, how does holy baptism signify and seal to you that Christ's sacrifice benefits you? Now hold that in your mind and listen to question 75 about Lord's Supper. How does Lord's Supper signify and seal to you that you share in Christ's sacrifice on the cross and in his gifts? A difference between benefiting from and sharing in. The difference is between having a passive participation in God's covenant and between having an active participation in God's covenant. Certain things in life require a maturity before you're allowed to actively participate in them. Let me give you the analogy of a car. Children passively participate in car rides all the time. They sit in the back they are completely a part of the car they're not excluded from the car they are in the car and they're along for the ride but yet they're very, they're there very passively it's only upon gaining maturity and a certain sense of uh, a sense of responsibility that they're allowed to take an active participation in the car by getting behind the wheel themselves and driving it in a similar way goes participation in the New Covenant by means of the Lord's Supper. Baptism is a passive participation. In the Lord's Supper, there is an active participation. And so with this background, then, we come to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. I explained this briefly a few weeks ago, but the background, or it's even communicated in this text, what's going on here. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians about the Lord's Supper. What's happening there is that there are rich and poor, and the poor are being discriminated against. That is, the rich are getting the place of privilege, probably at the main table in the main room. They're having lots of bread to eat and lots of wine to drink to the point that they're getting drunk, while the poor members of the congregation are relegated probably to a different room altogether, or at least to a different table. And they're not able to receive the bread and the wine. They have to wait for the scraps. And it's on this occasion, addressing the situation, that the Apostle Paul gives the fullest explanation of the Lord's Supper that we have. And I'd like us to notice this afternoon one aspect of this explanation that comes up three times. And that is the emphasis on mature and active participation In the Lord's Supper. In the first place, in verse 26, the apostle says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now you could say that simply taking the bread and the wine is itself an act of proclamation. By simply participating in the Lord's Supper, that means that you're saying something about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the word seems to indicate an awareness, an involvement in that proclamation. That is, a prerequisite for proclaiming the Lord's death is that you understand what the Lord's death means and how the Lord's Supper is communicating that death to you on your behalf. And the knowledge and the maturity necessary... To make that proclamation is exactly what's aimed at in the catechetical instruction of the church. And that is what is professed publicly in profession of faith. In the second place, in verse 28, Paul says that those who eat and drink need to a man, he says, ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Now this is not some sort of, deep inter- introspection and, and going in your mind to God's eternal decree and considering, am I truly a child of God or not? I don't think that's what that word is speaking about. God gives His promises to us, and they're, they're not based in deep introspection into our heart of hearts. They're based by going in faith to Christ. But this self-examination does entail asking yourself and acknowledging the gospel of Jesus Christ. The questions that are outlined in the form for the Lord's Supper that we read every time before we partake. Am I a sinner? Do I trust in Christ for my salvation? Do I live a life that's pleasing to God? And do I desire to continue in that? And again, if you were to look at the form for profession of faith, you would see that exactly those questions are what young people, and sometimes older people, stand in front of the church and say, I do, too. They publicly declare their yes to those questions. In the third place, Paul says that those who are partaking in the Lord's Supper are to recognize or discern the body. Verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. There are debates about what this word means, but most likely it involves understanding what the body of the Lord is, that is, how the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is being communicated to you. That involves recognizing that that eating that bread and drinking that wine isn't a matter of mere ritual. It's not just something that we do in the church because it's good or has some sort of benefit, but it involves a deep and spiritual participation in the death of Jesus Christ on your behalf. So from these words of Paul, I think it becomes quite clear that the Lord's Supper requires a mature, responsible, and active participation. It means that you, the professed member, understand what you are doing, and that you also have the maturity to be committed to that, committed to your faith in Christ through the ups and downs of life, through the trials and tribulations. And not to do this, Paul says, is to eat and drink judgment on yourself. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament of active and mature participation and obedience in God's covenant of grace. And God's Word warns us here about being too open or free or frivolous about our practice of the sacrament and about who is to partake in it. And so flowing out of this, there are a couple of things that we need to remember to keep in our mind, especially for the young people of our church. The first thing is that although we're talking about coming to a maturity and an age of responsibility, those things for each person are going to vary. The age at which someone is mature and responsible and able to publicly profess their faith in Christ is going to vary from person to person. Now You know how it works for the most part in our church and and many other churches, that there's this sort of progression and, and it strangely follows the grades that one goes through. And then so all at the same time, you have a bunch of young people who come to that awareness, desire, to profess their faith in Christ. But we should realize that professing your faith in Christ isn't like coming to the end of an escalator. It's not like you just are along for the ride and then you get to the end and, oh, well, I'm here. I might as well profess my faith. No, it's a deeply personal thing. And it's going to vary from person to person. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of growth in knowledge of the person and work of Jesus Christ and in God's Word. It's a matter of your relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a deeply personal thing. And you young people should see it as that. And you should desire to, when you feel that maturity, when it's working out in your life, and and you love Christ, and you know you want to serve Him with the rest of your life, be willing and able to give that testimony, to respond to your baptism through public profession of faith. That's one application. There's another tangible application that comes from this realization that participation in the Lord's Supper involves maturity and responsibility. And that is that the Lord's Supper is a wonderful meal. It's a gift. It's a beautiful thing that should not be put off. What I mean is this, especially for you older, younger people. Your participation in the table of the Lord has to do with your participation in Christ. And so if you're growing older but you feel no compulsion to, to serve the Lord, to grow in a deeper and richer relationship with the Lord, to commune with Him at His table, then something is wrong. You need to examine the priorities of your life. You need to consider God's calling to you in your baptism to full and active participation in His kingdom. A few weeks ago, we said that children belong in the church. Well, baptized children belong at the Lord's Supper table. Perhaps not today. Perhaps not next week or even next year. But you do belong there. That is, you ought to grow up in faith. Come to maturity. Profess Christ with your words with your life. And so join Him at His table, at His supper. Participation in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is something that we need to grow up into. But at the same time, we need to realize that it's not like like a badge that we can get and put on our lapel. And once it's there, we're good. That's... That's it. We've arrived. It's not like a driver's license. Once you've earned it, you stick it in your pocket and you have it for the rest of your life. No, professing Christ, growing in a deeper and more mature understanding of Him and relationship with God the Father through Christ is an ongoing thing. And so we come to the second point, that those belong at the table who repent daily. Daily. If we were to turn our attention back to 1 Corinthians 11 and to those three requirements, we notice that actually Paul isn't talking about profession of faith at all. He is assuming or working with a sort of active participation, a mature participation. But Paul is speaking to communicant members. Paul is speaking to those who were partaking of the Lord's Supper. In short, we're called to examine ourselves before and as we partake in the Lord's Supper. God, in His grace, gives us this regular meal to take care that we are not falling into our sins. That we have not taken the forgiveness of sins in vain. That we still truly desire to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Question 81 in the Heidelberg Catechism outlines the spiritual condition of those who are to come to the table of the Lord. There's three parts to that. It says, first, those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins. That means that you live daily, every day, fighting your old man. No, not fighting against your dad or something like that. You're fighting against that old, sinful, selfish nature that still clings to you, that still wants to walk contrary to God's law, that keeps you focused on earthly things and leads you into temptation. What this means is, this being displeased with yourself because of your sins, it means that you're fighting every day against sin. It means that you immediately know what the Lord's Supper is all about, and why the Lord died for sins. You come to the table and you just know what that's all about. Why? Because you're fighting against it every day of your life. You hate your sin. It clings to you, but you just want to be rid of it. And yet, at the same time, you trust that your sins are forgiven you. For the sake of Jesus Christ. In that daily struggle against sin, you find daily comfort and hope in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on your behalf. That He went to the cross for you. For your sin. For the sin that still clings to you. It's like a well-deserved rest at the dinner table after a hard day's work. After struggling with its effects, with sin and its effects all day and all week and for the past few weeks, you can rest. You can just take time to enjoy the sweet forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. And finally, those who come to the table desire more and more to strengthen their faith and to amend their lives. You know after a hard day's work as you sit there that another hard day's fight is ahead of you. And you know that you need nourishment. You need food. You need to be strengthened for that battle. Because it's going to be tough slugging. That's what it is, isn't it? Sanctification is hard work. Growing in Christ, changing your life is hard work. It requires constant refueling by the Holy Spirit. And he gives you that at the Lord's Supper table, through preaching every week, but also at the Lord's Supper table. In short, those who are to come to the table of the Lord are those who strive after the Lord every day, of their lives. They live a life of daily repentance, daily fighting against the old sinful nature and daily experiencing that joy in Christ, delighting to do God's will. What this means for us is that self-examination and preparation for coming to the Lord's supper table isn't something that we only do for a week before the Lord's supper. It's certainly not something that we just do a few days before or the night of or as we sit in church the morning of Lord's Supper. But it's something that we are doing constantly. Going to the Lord's Supper should should flow out of our lives and then on the other end should flow into our lives. It reaches a crescendo there, but it's not an abrupt part of our lives at all because we're living a life of daily repentance, daily examination. Confessing our sin, looking to Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, serving God. And that is why it's a reality, going to our third point, that there are some who should not take the Lord's Supper, those who will eat and drink judgment on themselves. There are some who should not partake of the Lord's Supper. Why? Well, because that fight against sin that rest in the finished work of Christ, and that desire to live a holy life is not present in their lives. Or is not present in their hearts. Paul makes the prohibition very clear in 1 Corinthians 11. He says that because of the desecration of the supper that was happening in Corinth, many have fallen ill and some have even died. God's wrath was being carried out against that group of believers. And who is to blame? Well, it's them. Anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And judgment, brothers and sisters, is a strong word. This is God's covenant judgment. This is God's wrath. Covenant wrath for wrongful participation in his covenant. And the result is terrible. And so upon whom does the responsibility lie? Well, it lies first of all on yourself. Notice that the catechism speaks about hypocrites there at the end of answer 81. The one thing about a hypocrite is that you can't tell them apart from regular, normal, sincere believers. A hypocrite leads a double life. That's what what the word means. A hypocrite looks just like the person who despises their sin, who rests in Christ and who desires to live a, a new life, but with one difference, they don't actually want to do those things. It doesn't come from their heart. They appear pious on the outside, but inside they actually love sin. They don't go to Christ for forgiveness. They like to flirt with sin. They kind of like that relationship they have going with the guy at the office. They like to stop at the bar on their way home from work and have a few drinks. Nobody knows about it. They like that browser screen on their computer. That feeds their lust. They like to go to the clubs on weekends and flirt and engage in sexual immorality. They kind of like, they don't want anyone to know, but they kind of like those things. And they don't want to amend their lives. When it comes right down to it, the only one who can tell who's a hypocrite is you and God. That's why we offer the strong warning at the beginning of the Lord's Supper. To warn those who are living double lives. And So you need to let that self-examination permeate deep into every aspect of your lives, the deep ones especially, and ask yourself if you truly hate sin and love Christ. Because if you don't, then you have no part at the table of the Lord. And worse, you have no part of the kingdom of Christ. If you've hardened and deepened yourself in your private and hypocritical sin, then you have only one option besides the eternal condemnation into which you're plunging yourself. And that involves going on your knees before the Lord and repenting. Seeking forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ. Further to that, however, the responsibility for the sanctity of the supper also lies with the church. Because some are hypocrites. Others are openly ungodly. We all together have a responsibility toward church discipline. And we'll deal with that next week. In this regard, the elders as as part of their pastoral care over the flock, are to guard not only the sanctity of the table, but also to protect brothers and sisters from themselves. Where someone persists in an an ungodly confession in life, the church has the duty to exclude such members from the table until they amend their lives, until they repent. The Lord's Supper is deeply individual as you partake with the Lord but it's also communal and covenantal. And God's Word is clear about maintaining the sanctity of the covenant, of its members, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. But yet, brothers and sisters, as the the form for the Supper says so famously, this is not meant to break or discourage broken and contrite hearts. In considering the Lord's Supper table, be emboldened and and encouraged to participate in the Supper of the Lord Jesus Christ. You young people, grow up into Christ. Live lives of daily repentance. Study, learn, embrace the teachings of God's Word that center on the person and work of our Savior. Mature in your obedience to Him. Desire to publicly profess your faith and to commune at the Lord's table. And you profess, members, continue to live lives of daily repentance. Flee sin. Embrace Christ. And please Him. Examine your lives and confess your sins. That He might grant you forgiveness. Don't allow hypocrisy and ungodliness to come in. Continue to rest upon the grace of God displayed and offered you in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we remember at the Lord's Supper table. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.